Good morning and welcome to Our American Heritage. I am Arch Hunter, the host of the program. Our American Heritage program, we will explore in depth the American experience from the beginning to the present. And today we want to welcome back as our very special guest, one of the owners of WFOL, Susan Lott. Susan, thank you for coming back to the program. Oh, it's my pleasure, Arch. Nice to be with you. And I personally want to thank you for what you and Al have done for our area as far as getting the message out of our country and looking at our country and having the perspective of putting God back into our country and really looking at our country in a way that we can be proud of who we are and, and honestly look at our history and be honest with our history and share that with people. So thank you so much for what you and your husband have done in our area and the influence that you have done through this radio station. Well, thank you for those kind words. And, and we thank you for your programs, uh, this one and the others that you're involved with. It's a joy to be able to get the information out. You know so much. We know, I know so little. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure that other people are enjoying and benefiting from your sharing of history and of the stories that you know. And it's just fascinating to learn about these things. Well, thank you personally for the opportunity. American history is my passion. And my our country is my passion. So... I certainly appreciate you and Al giving me the opportunity to do this. So thank you so much. In our last program, Susan, we're talking about Philadelphia's influence during the Civil War. And I reminded our audience that so much of when we think of Philadelphia is the revolution. And I made the statement that I believe that Philadelphia even had more influence in the Civil War than it did with the Revolutionary War and everything that Philadelphians did and the supplying of the armies and making weaponry and making ships, uh, you know, for the Union armies. And also all the generals that came out of the Philadelphia areas and 54 soldiers and sailors received the Medal of Honor from Philadelphia after the Civil War. And I, I briefly mentioned that of all the generals from Philadelphia, only one joined the Confederacy. His name was General John Pemberton. And Susan, can you guess, could you have any idea why a Philadelphian, a northerner, would join a Confederate army? What you Can you have any idea what or who influenced him? Was he married to a southern lady? Bingo. Thank you. And Susan, you and I both know, and I'm old enough to admit that, you know, our wives have tremendous amount of influence over us. <laughs> and years before, John Pemberton married a lovely woman from Virginia. And over the period of time, John Pemberton was uh, greatly influenced by his wife, as I humbly and proudly and will admit that my wife has a lot of good, wonderful influence over me. She influenced him to join the Confederacy and become a general fighting for the South. And so I understand that. What a lot of people, Susan, don't know that the turning point of the Civil War was Vicksburg. Mm-hmm. And it was it was going on at the same time as the Battle of Gettysburg. Vicksburg was on the Mississippi River. And when Vicksburg fell, it was the day after Gettysburg. And the Union general there was General Ulysses S. Grant. Yes. The Confederate general that finally surrendered Vicksburg was General John Pemberton. Oh. So there was a connection there. And then Susan, years later, after John Pemberton died, his family wanted him to be buried in Laurel Hill Cemetery, where many Union generals were buried. And there was a major uprising 
over that, of whether to allow John Pemberton to be buried in Laurel Hill Cemetery with other <laughs> generals. And they finally came to compromise and putting him in another area. So it, it's interesting story of, of John Pemberton being the only Philadelphian who had joined the Confederacy during the Civil War. It is interesting. It also highlights the tragedy of the whole thing. Yes. How it split apart families, brother against brother, you know, wives' families against husbands' families. I've often said to my husband, I'm so glad we live when we do and not back then, because his family's from Pennsylvania. Mine was from Oklahoma and Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can, it just must have been a, a dreadful time. It, it was. It, it, Far more than, Susan, we could ever comprehend how difficult of a time period it was. And Susan, many people ask me as an historian, is this the worst that I've ever seen, you know, the split of America, what's going on in our country today? And I always say the Civil War time period was far worse. As bad as it is today, the Civil War time period, exactly for the reason you just said, was such a terrible time in America. And the split of our nation was just absolutely terrible mm-hmm. on so many levels. Susan, most people don't realize that President Lincoln's wife was a Southerner. Yes, she was. And she had 11 of her relatives fight for the Confederacy. Mm -hmm. And most of her relatives were killed fighting for the Confederacy. So uh, your example is so true of how it split families and we're from different areas and we held different beliefs. And it's just the split in America at that time period, along with the tremendous tragedy, was just awful, Mm -hmm. awful. So, well, we talked a little bit on our first program about the general that didn't do so well from Pennsylvania or from Philadelphia and is considered one of the worst generals in American history. Let's go to the other side and let's talk about one of the most famous generals in American history and is considered one of the great generals in American history. And his name is George Meade. Mm, and yes. we see him a lot. Susan, in our area, General George Meade, just a phenomenal general in his own right, and just a phenomenal life, what George Meade did as a general, as a scientist, and I know your husband will like this, as an engineer. He was a phenomenal engineer, George Meade. Interesting. Unfortunately for us, he was not born in Philadelphia. He was born in Spain. Spain? Spain, yes. His father was a merchant and he was serving as a naval agent for the United States government in Spain. And so George was born in Spain and not long after he was born, his family came back to the United States and they were from Philadelphia. So George, from a very young age, was raised in Philadelphia, but he was born in Spain. So, but we're going to claim him, Susan. (laughs) And he claimed Philadelphia too, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> Here, Here's another man, Susan, that was very, very smart and went to West Point when he was 16 years old. Susan, I wasn't even driving a car when I was 16 years old. Was he there at the same time as McClellan, George McClellan? Yes. Their careers and their scholastic backgrounds overlapped each other. Interesting. And, and so, and your, your question is, so many of the generals in the Civil War whether they were Confederate generals or Union generals, they knew each other because uh-huh. they went to West Point together or they were in, most of them were in the Mexican War together and yes. they served together. So a lot of these guys knew each other. Uh-huh. One of General Lee's generals, General John Longstreet, yes, he was 
Ulysses S. Grant's best man at his wedding. <laughs> so it's an example of how many of these guys really knew each other. Yes. So uh, through this time period, George McClellan at age 20, graduated 19 in his class of 56 cadets from West Point at the ripe old age of 20 years old. <laughs> so, and George Susan became a, a civil engineer. He did not decide to have a military career. He graduated from West Point, and as a lot of the generals did, they studied engineering, and he became a civil engineer and, and did not join the military. He married a young lady named Margarita Sargent, and her father was the running mate of Henry Clay in 1832. Hmm. So there's a political background, and there is a, a thread here, a genes here of longevity in both of their families. And so after the Mexican War, which was over 1846, George McClellan Susan, again, he went back into civil engineering. And what did he construct, which is a fascinating story to me? He designed lighthouses. So many of the lighthouses that we see on the East Coast today, they were designed by George Meade. So after the Mexican War, George Meade went back into civil engineering. Yes, yes. And, and of course, we know how important lighthouses were, particularly on the East Coast. And George McClellan was designing lighthouses all along, up and down the eastern seaboard. That is fascinating. I did not know that. And you and I, Susan, we know Barnicket Light, along Beach Island, mm -hmm. the lighthouse there, George yes. McClellan designed that. Wow. The, the lighthouse at Absecon Light, that lighthouse, George McClellan designed. The lighthouse in Cape May, George McClellan. It's so interesting. A very large lighthouse in Jupiter, Florida, George McClellan. Wow. So we have this fascinating man that, one, he did not choose a military career, but served during the Mexican War, then went back into civil engineering and was designing lighthouses all over the East Coast. And then finally, in 1861, the governor of Pennsylvania, Andrew Curtin, asked George McClellan if he would join the Pennsylvania Volunteers and become a Brigadier General you know, from one of the regiments from Pennsylvania, particularly Philadelphia. So George McClellan agreed to come. Again, as an engineer, he served in the Army of the Potomac. And we see George McClellan, Susan, having activity at Bull Run, which was a major disaster for the Union Army. The Peninsula Campaign, which we talked about in the last show under George McClellan, which with incompetency of McClellan becomes a major disaster. And so George McClellan is beginning to see major action in the Army of the Potomac. Susan, he's wounded three times during George McClellan's Peninsula Campaign. He is wounded in the arm, he is wounded in the leg, and he is wounded in the back. General Meade. General, General Meade. Is wounded. General Meade is wounded three times during that that major disaster of a, of a Peninsula Campaign. And so each time he was wounded, he either recuperated there or came back to Philadelphia recuperated and then rejoined the army. So it just, you know, and we see this so much because these generals now, they're pretty much in harm's way during this war and they're being shot at and they're being wounded and they're also being killed. So George Meade is seeing major action 
now in these major campaigns and suffering wounds along with many of his men in his army. Uh-huh. He's at Bull Run too. And then George Meade is also at Antietam under George McClellan in the Army of the Potomac. And he sees major action at Antietam. And as we see, it becomes a major disaster for the Army of the Potomac because of the lack of leadership of George McClellan. Mm-hmm. One of the very famous generals of the Union Army at, at Antietam, his name is General Joe Hooker. And he makes a statement, Susan, about George Meade. He says, look at Meade with all the traps, with everything going on around him. I could win any war with a general like George Meade. It's quite a compliment. It's quite a compliment coming from Joe Hooker, Susan, that has the nickname Fighting Joe Hooker. So Mm -hmm. Hooker was a phenomenal fighting general. And that compliment that he gives to George Meade at Antietam. Well, George Meade, Susan, is a quiet man. He doesn't like attention. He doesn't like the limelight. He's not a prima donna like a lot of the generals were. And so a lot of us historians say that George Meade was very similar to Omar Bradley in World War II. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. General Eisenhower said that Omar Bradley in World War II was the best general that we had. But George Meade and Omar Bradley, they didn't like the limelight, Susan. They didn't want credit for anything. They didn't really particularly like to talk to the press corps. They stayed out of the limelight and they did their job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's just a phenomenal to correlate George Meade to Philadelphia and Omar Bradley from World War II. Yes, it is. That's interesting. Now, at Fredericksburg later on in December of 1862, which was another major disaster, Susan, for the Army of the Potomac, now under the command of another very bad general, Ambrose Burnsides. Fredericksburg is a major disaster for the Union Army under another very bad combat general, Ambrose Burnsides. George Meade's division was the only division that broke through the Confederate lines at Fredericksburg. And that's just phenomenal to see if anybody ever visits the battlefield at Fredericksburg and sees what the Union Army was up against at Fredericksburg, they would immediately say, Susan, there's no way that the Union Army should attack the Confederate Army there. But Burnside's decided to have an attack. Actually, he had 14 different assaults onto the Confederate lines at Fredericksburg. And it's George Meade's regiment division, Susan, that's the only one that broke through the Confederate line at Fredericksburg. Almost 14,000 Union soldiers are killed at Fredericksburg under the command of General Ambrose Burnside's another major disaster for the Union Army, Susan. It's terrible. Just, just terrible. So not long, Susan, after Fredericksburg, President Lincoln then also relieves Ambrose Burnside from being the commanding general. He elevates Joe Hooker to be the commanding general of the Union Army. And Joe Hooker is our commanding general until Chancellorsville, which I'm throwing dates out here just as a timeline, which was May of 1863. Chancellorsville. At Chancellorsville, General Hooker, his headquarters was hit by a cannonball. A beam out of the ceiling came down and hit Joe Hooker in the head, knocked him out, and he had a major concussion. And so about Three weeks later, Susan, General Hooker is relieved of command because he's not talking right. You know, we didn't know at the time what what, um, concussions were. Mm. And General Lee, Susan, after Chancellorsville, which was May, begins to move north. And he begins to move up into Pennsylvania, which gets us to Gettysburg in July. 
Yes. So that's, I mean, that's the important thing that I'm getting to here is right. at the end of June, General Hooker is relieved of command as he's bringing the Union Army, trying to follow Lee's army up through Maryland and almost into Pennsylvania. And so four days before Gettysburg, General Hooker is relieved of command and President Lincoln puts General Meade in charge of the Army of the Potomac. So, Susan, it is George Meade who takes on Robert E. Lee at Gettysburg, and he's been the commanding officer of the Union Army for only four days. Four days. Four oh, days. And, Susan, he is the first Union general to defeat Robert E. Lee in the battle, and he was only the commander of the Army of the Potomac for four days before Gettysburg. Isn't that an extraordinary story? Just extraordinary. And Susan, one of Meade's great strengths was he was able to see the strength of his other officers and put them in charge of troops. And particularly people who are Civil War buffs, they'll know the names of John Reynolds, Winfield Scott Hancock, Daniel Sickles, Abner Doubleday, George Sears Green, and General Butterfield. Susan, all these generals, Meade is the one who put in command of different divisions at Gettysburg who helped win the first battle for the Union Army at Gettysburg under the command of George Meade. Yeah, I wonder how different it would have been if um, one of those others had been in charge instead of General Meade. Well, most of us, Susan, are convinced that Robert E. Lee would have won Gettysburg Mm -hmm. if it hadn't been for the leadership of George Meade and his ability to put men in charge, competent men in charge of troops and be able to allow those men to do their job and oversee a battle. And again, I'll say it, he's only been the commanding officer for four days. And he is the first Union general to defeat, decisively defeat Robert E. Lee. <laughs> so just- Quite something. It's, 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 his temperament was calm. It was outwardly, he was very quiet. He was a very modest man. Uh, he did not like publicity. He simply was there to do his job. And Meade is a phenomenal, phenomenal general, but he's well overlooked most of the time. He didn't seek publicity like a lot of other generals did. <laughs> later on, Susan, a few months later, President Lincoln then brings Ulysses S. Grant to the east. He reforms all the armies, the Union armies, and he puts Ulysses S. Grant as a commander of all the Union armies. And the first thing, Susan, that General Grant did is he said to General Meade, I still want you to command the Army of the Potomac. I still want you to be their commanding officer. You are a phenomenal general, and you are one of the best two officers of all the Union armies. So, General Meade, you are still the commanding officer of the Army of the Potomac. And President that is, Lincoln said this. This is President Lincoln. Well, General Grant said this. Oh, to General, General Grant Meade. said. So when if Grant says to General Meade, "You are one of the two best commanding officers in this army, and I want you to still be the commanding officer," that is a very high compliment to George yes. Meade. Yes. High compliment, and he did. He continued to be the commander of the Army of the Potomac through the rest of the war, and he works fairly well with Ulysses S. Grant because Grant now is going to get actively involved in trying to defeat Robert E. Lee, but he also is working hand in hand with the commanding officer of the Army of the Potomac, which was George Meade. So they worked well together as the highest ranking officer and then George Meade being the commanding officer of the Army of the Potomac. So Meade is with General Grant or General Grant is with Meade for the rest of the war and ultimately is where when Robert E. Lee had to surrender his army at Appomattox, it is General Grant 
and General Meade, there with the Army of the Potomac, having Lee surrender his army at, at Appomattox. I said, yeah. So, Susan, after the war, what does Meade do? I mean, the war is over, and he's now this major hero. What does he do? He goes back to Philadelphia. He goes back to his roots, and Susan, he becomes the commissioner of Fairmount Park for the rest of his life. Oh, how about that? <laughs> Philadelphia, Susan, loved George Meade so much and respected him. Philadelphia gave him his own house, and it's down in Delancey Place, and you and I are familiar with Delancey Place. Mm -hmm. And Susan, even today, there is a plaque over the top of that house that said, this house was the house of General George Meade. That's wonderful. Well, that's how much he was respected and loved by Philadelphia. Harvard gave him an honorary doctorate for all of his scientific achievements, particularly, you know, with the lighthouses that he worked with. Yes. He receives an honorary doctorate from Harvard for all the work that he did after the war and before the war, particularly with lighthouses. One of my favorite stories is that his horse, Susan, his name, his, the horse's name was Old Baldy. Huh? And poor Old Baldy, Old Baldy, Susan, was wounded 11 times. Oh, my goodness. During the Civil War and survived all of his wounds and survived all of his wounds. And when George McClellan passed away from the complications, particularly of pneumonia, it is Old Baldy who pulls his oh. casket case on over to the Laurel Hill Cemetery. Oh. And Old Baldy lives 12, or excuse me, 12, 12 years after George McClellan passed away. And George McClellan was only 57 when he passed away. So um, it's a little macabre, Susan, but when Old Baldy finally passed away, they mounted his head on a big board. And Old Baldy used to be in the Civil War Museum in Philadelphia. <laughs> so, How interesting. George Meade's legacy, Susan. There are seven statues in honor of George Meade. We have two United States military army forts named after George Meade. We have two counties, one in Kansas and one in South Dakota, named after George Meade. In World War II, one of our Liberty ships was christened the SS George Meade. In 1891, Susan, $1,000 treasury notes and also coins had George Meade's portrait on it. So George Meade has a wonderful legacy and over the years has finally gotten credit for what he did as a general for the Union Army, but also for his legacy is what he did in his scientific research over the years. It's really fascinating. And then two more little, the actor, Michael Fox. Yes. Michael Fox is the great, great, great grandson of George Meade. Oh. And a person, Susan, that we don't hear much about anymore because it's in our past. Do you remember Happy Rockefeller? Nelson Rockefeller's wife. Yes, I do. She is the great great granddaughter of George Meade. Great so, great 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 granddaughter great, of George Meade. Happy Rockefeller. Yeah. So this man George Meade, though he didn't want the limelight, did not like the limelight, gave all the credit to his soldier, was just a phenomenal organizer, saw the strength of his commanding officers, was the first Union general to defeat Robert E. Lee, and ultimately was the commanding general of the Army of the Potomac when Robert E. Lee surrendered at Appomattox. And he's a Philadelphian, and we claim him. So he is the opposite of what we see from George McClellan. That's wonderful, and he left a great legacy. 
left a wonderful legacy mm -hmm. and his scientific research is just phenomenal uh, as we go on today. So if our listeners ever see any of these lighthouses down in New Jersey, they can say to people, George Mead, George Mead, so interesting. he designed those. And proudly we can say he's a Philadelphian. So, <laughs> so Susan, that's two of the uh, generals from Philadelphia and the influence they had during the Civil War. Well, thank you for bringing them to life for us, Arch. Well, thank you again for the opportunity to do that. And there's more that we have, so we'll continue that in future programs. And if you would be so kind to come back and help me be the co-host for the program. Oh, I'd love to. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. It's it's much appreciated for me. So listeners, this is WFYL working for your liberty, 1180 AM. Thank you.